The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Mike Kaplan. Mike is a comedian living in New York City. Growing up, Mike's mom strongly encouraged him to play the violin. It was something that quickly took over his life and always felt like a chore, but he talks about how he developed a passion for the arts in general that led him to become the person he is today. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Uh, I'm well, thank you for asking. You know, obviously with all the disclaimers of uh, beyond myself uh, alone in this world, as I am not by myself alone in this world, for shorthand, as people often say, I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. Yeah, you're get you're getting by. Uh, if you don't think too much about uh, the world on every side of you, that's slowly closing in on all of us at all times uh, to really throw us into the deep end of existential crisis. Yeah, yeah. I'm in yeah. just in the shallow end. Yeah, of you're like fine. You're like yeah, great. I can hang out here and it's nice. Uh, you know. Uh, I have a friend who is uh, Chinese, uh, Joe Wong, a wonderful comedian, and he told me, uh, I'd heard this, and I was like, I wonder if this is one of those, you know, apocryphal stories, but he confirmed that there is a word in Chinese that can mean both crisis and opportunity, so... Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, the same way that your feelings could be nervous or excited, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so perhaps we're all just having an existential opportunity. That's yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, yeah. What did you want to talk about today? Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, so. As, as you may remember, uh, I wrote a piece about uh, my mom and my relationship with her and music in my uh, newsletter where I send out often jokes and then also sometimes longer, uh, more, not that jokes aren't meaningful, but more meaningful pieces uh, about actually, I mean, sort of what got me into comedy ultimately, you know, what... I've been learning, I have a friend who's a Buddhist, and I've been learning a lot about Buddhist uh, ontology and epistemology and how things, you know, work in the world in a Buddhist framework. And they talk about how everything is caused by causes and conditions. And so I think that part of this story is like some of the major causes and conditions which led me to be, you know, who I am today, which also, you know, the the path was not straight. It was not without bumps. Uh, and so here are some of the bumps. Uh, my parents, when I was growing up, were both music teachers. Uh, they were married until I was about 13 or 14. Uh, and it was very important to at least my mom, if not both of them, that I love music the way that they loved music. And... So when I was four years old, uh, I started playing the violin through no choice of my own or <laughs> a minimal choice of my own. My, as I understand, I don't remember this. I, I, there's never a time that I remember not knowing how to play the violin. She didn't say to me, do you want to play a musical instrument? Because she didn't want me to offer me the opportunity to say no. But she asked me something like, what instrument would you like to play? Would you, would you like to play the violin, perhaps? And, you know, uh, 
I can only imagine that at that time I'd, I'd been, you know, cared for. We lived in a house. I was sheltered. I had food. They, I, they were, they were loving parents, and so I trusted them. And I'm like, oh, well, of course. Why? I'll do the thing that you suggest I do. Yeah. Uh, and I did not love it immediately by any stretch. I mean. I'm sure there were things about it that I enjoyed uh, and I don't want to jump too far ahead to my love of music today, but spoiler alert, I'm okay. Everything's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But like I, so I took private violin lessons from age four until like through high school till I went to college pretty much. And I like, and I was quote unquote required to. And then additionally in perhaps in the same way that like, for some religious families, they're like, you're going to church on Sunday, you're going to synagogue, you're going to this, you're, you're going to the mosque, you're going to the Zoroastrian, uh, you know, gathering place of worship, whatever it might be. Um, and in our home, that wasn't the that wasn't required, but music school was required. So every weekend from a very or in a young single digit age. Again, through this was probably through some somewhere in my teens. We would go. We lived in New Jersey. We would drive into uh, Queens, New York, and I would do a violin program with like other kids, uh, some of whom maybe wanted to be there. But uh, there were there was an orchestra. There were smaller groups. There were uh, there were theory lessons. There was my private lesson, which happened on a separate day. Eventually, I was playing in a quartet, which happened on a separate day, which was kind of similar to... I did also go to Hebrew school, uh, and I liked some of it. Like, I liked the kids I was in the quartet with. I liked learning music theory. I was kind of, you know, always a math... uh, I was always a math. I was always a math lover. Yeah, it's like doing Uh, something in your brain where you're like, ooh, this part I'm connecting with. Yeah. So I remember one time... Uh, the group that I was in, one of the groups I was in on the Saturday program was like dressed up to take a photo because they were going on a trip that I wasn't going on. But it was like literally everyone in the group was dressed fancy and I was dressed regular. And but we were supposed to perform, like do a do a performance. And then they were going to have these photos taken or whatever. And I was like, I don't want to go out there with those kids, like with me looking like. The, and this is an interesting thing because because like I don't usually uh, of of people, I I'm one of the people that I know who cares close to the least about what what I look like or what I'm wearing or how I present myself. But it, so it was so overt, so the disparity was so great that I was like, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to do it, I don't want to. And so I told my mom, I don't want to do it, and she was like, you have to do it, and I was like, I don't want to. And she's like, well, if you don't do it, then you probably can't watch TV for a week. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I loved TV more than I loved not uh, looking like a schlub compared to everybody else. <laughs> um, but it was definitely, so it was a a tense moment. And, I, you know, this is from when I was, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, somewhere. And I remembered it. And I remember, you know, I'm okay. Like, that's, I don't still, I'm not like, mom, that's yeah. the most, you know, it's not my villain origin story. Uh, I, I talked to my mom about this during the lockdown phase of the pandemic. So I shared it with my mom in a lighthearted way. And she felt really 
bad about it and she was like well that wasn't that wasn't my intent like i didn't want you to she's like she didn't even remember that story because it wasn't uh yeah, yeah i certainly i would say about that for many years i'm like that was a traumatic experience that i had until i learned really what the definition of trauma was and what you know people who have experienced who have had uh major physical emotional and otherwise uh challenges in their life yeah, when you describe this to me, it's like it feels like, yeah, your parents looked at this as almost like music is the second religion to them, as you were talking about, like, your synagogue and all that, alongside all these music classes, and, like, there are these two equal things in your life. I would say that in my household, uh, of the two religions, music was the primary one. Yeah, like, that's that's I definitely got that sense. Like, you kind of brought up the whole, yeah. like, going to synagogue on Saturdays as, like, an afterthought to your music schedule. <laughs> Yeah, literally, my mom has told me that uh, I could have, I mean, when I was a child and since, she's like, you could have, if you didn't want to go to temple, uh, we wouldn't have made you. Uh, like, they definitely, like, enticed me. They're like, you could have yeah. a big party yeah. with a lot of your friends and presents. Um, yeah, where but- that was, like, sort of a cultural thing, which... Yeah, that's like yeah, that's the cultural side where like yeah, the religion was the music side, right? Yeah, like I was not I was not allowed to not do music. Yeah. Like I would have been like I I generally wasn't punished for I I generally didn't misbehave. I mean, that example that I gave you was like one of the only memories that I have of like wanting to not do yeah, what like my parents said. Yeah. Uh and I met with, you know, the the merest of punishments uh the the childhood torture of a week without tv and i crumbled immediately um but yeah so i it was you know hours and hour hours of my week every every week years of my life for my entire childhood and i just i guess i wouldn't say I didn't I wouldn't say that I felt resentment. I am saying that I wouldn't say that, but yeah. uh I just yeah, it it really it sucked. I didn't like it. I didn't like having to do it. Um which so then uh when I was in high school, uh when I was 11, I started going to this summer camp uh that my mom found for me or that my parents found. I think my mom said it was her. Uh that called Bucks Rock and it's in Connecticut and I love it and I recommend it. And it was founded by uh, a man and his wife, uh, Ernst and Ilsa Bulova in the forties. They found, they started as a, a work camp, uh, like to help with the war effort to like, you know, have animals and vegetables and eventually became an arts camp, a performing and creative arts camp. Uh, and I started going there in 1990 when I was 11, and I, the way so the the way that the camp was structured is uh, Ernst, the founder, had studied with Maria Montessori, you know, who created the Montessori yeah. schools uh, concept, and the idea being that you know children learn best when they are self motivated, when they're not told you have to do this, like what do you want to do, you get to do this. So at the camp. 9 to 12 and 2 to 6 those were the shop hours like and you could you just had to go somewhere you know uh you didn't have to go anywhere specific you want to audition for shows be in a be in a play be in a musical group like obviously those performances if you're doing things with other people they meet at specific times you if you want to be in them you show up at the times that your rehearsals are but otherwise you could just go literally like throw clay pots all day or 
you could go to the wood shop for an hour and sew for an hour and batik for an hour or seven minutes or make jewelry or sculptures or whatever. And so that, and it was beautiful and I loved it. Uh, And also my mom told me that because this is like the first time I was going to be away from home for like two months for the whole summer. Uh, And I wouldn't be under her purview and guidance of like, you have to practice your violin a half hour every day uh, or what have you. She was like, while you're there, she's like, I know they say you can do whatever you want to do. She's like, but you, (laughs) you have to want to do, you have to do. She's like, I want you to to want to. (laughs) Yeah. You like, you're like, you have to play in the orchestra. Uh, Orchestra was probably an hour a day. And then I had six other hours where I could do whatever I wanted. The thing that I loved the most about the place was legitimately like the people like it was uh i was uh you know a weirdo at my school we had just moved when i was like 12 i didn't have a lot of friends but at this it felt like this camp was a haven for uh misfits and outcasts and like fellow like people that are like it's okay for me to be here you know and and so i some of my best friends still like came from those like teenage years there including and this will get back to our main storyline my friend ari uh his was the first guitar that i ever played like he was also the first person to like welcome me into this group of friends like from which many of my best friends like uh grew and like stemmed from uh and like when I was 13, he was just like, or 14, he was like, come here, hang out with us. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, wow, thank you. He's like, yeah, thank you. You're, you're cool. And I was like, but no, you're cool. I'm, I'm, I'm not cool. He's like, no, you're cool. And it was just the first place that I, you know, saw people who weren't my family and seemed like they were required to, you know, care for me, uh, legally, like be compassionate and, and welcoming and, uh, you know, hospitable and, so I remember so Ari, I lived in New Jersey, Ari lived in New York, and like he came and visited me once during the school year, brought his guitar. I remember we were just at like a mall, maybe either Paramus Park or maybe the Garden State Plaza. We we're just hanging out at the mall. We're like 15. And he went to the bathroom and left his guitar. And I just kind of like picked up his guitar and like plunked a few things and found like literally, I think the, you know, you play uh a the a a string the d string and the g string and it sounds like the first three notes of the star trek theme song <laughs> it's like da 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 you know and i was like ooh that's a that's a song that's a music <laughs> that i know and i like you know played around a little more and i was like this is cool and then i like went home and like uh, i i talked to my parents and my dad he had a guitar that he got in high school and he gave it to me just like a nylon string classical guitar and my mom being a a music teacher she had a ton of like books uh full of like song like you know Beatles songs and like tv theme songs and I looked and old like classic rock songs and I looked through them and I don't know if you ever looked at you know piano music that also has like the guitar like finger patterns yeah like the tab almost like the tab fingers yeah exactly and so I looked and I was like putting my fingers the places and like which I was like learning chords just from my mom's, you know, Broadway show tune books. And the very first song that I was like, I learned how to play in full in part because I didn't have to do anything too complicated with my fingers. 
was I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, wow. And then, you know, I got an electric guitar for like, you know, a Hanukkah present one year and then got myself or I forget if my parents or I like got it like a real good guitar, like acoustic guitar of my own. And I was like off and running like and I would play it like hours a day, which, you know, if if it had been the violin, my mom would have been I mean, not that she wasn't thrilled, but it, it was like because I didn't have to, I didn't consider it practice. I didn't consider it work. I was just like, this is amazing. I was going to say, it's like the context of having to read a book for class versus just like choosing to read a book. Right. It was like which is also kind of here's a story that I I tell sometimes about this. Do you know the Jewish folk writer Isaac Bashevis Singer? No. So there's this, uh, I feel like he's a Nobel or Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, Some really funny stories, and probably some other ones, but some of them were centered around this town called Chelm, which was like in Eastern Europe, perhaps it was in Poland, and it was like a town full of the stupidest people, especially the leaders of the town, the town council, they were the dumbest. But anyway, this (laughs) one story about this dumb guy who like leaves the town and he shows up in another town and he goes to a restaurant and he's like, I'd like this for dinner, please. And they bring it to him and he's like, I'm still hungry. I'll get this now. And he keeps not being full and he keeps ordering other things. He's like, what is the thing that's going to make me full? And he orders so many things, maybe everything on the menu. And eventually he orders this cookie and he eats this cookie and he's like, ah, now I am full. He's like, if only I had known that it was the cookie that would make me full, I wouldn't have had to order all that other stuff. What a waste. And I'm, you know, I'm reading that. I'm like, what a dumb guy. Clearly, (laughs) I get the story. Meanwhile, as I'm like loving playing the guitar when I'm 15, uh, which is so easy for me because, you know, I don't, uh, no disrespect, but I will say that the violin is... I mean, and look, I've only I learned the violin first and I was a child. And so maybe that was what made it so hard. But I, you know, the guitar has frets. The violin does not like it's for me, especially because I had studied the violin, because I had studied music theory, because I had all the years of experience with music, with a stringed instrument, with learning what to do with my hands, my fingers, etc. Like picking up the guitar was easy it was a piece of cake or a tiny cookie that uh that filled me with such joy and I remember thinking but at the time I was like man if only I had known when I was four that I would have loved the guitar (laughs) I wouldn't have had to waste all that time uh learning the thing having those experiences that I didn't like you know completely oblivious I'd heard that story since I was a child, uh, oblivious to the fact that it was, you know, like I couldn't separate those things. And I got into comedy because I found a place to perform my music in Boston where I was in school. I was like, I wanted to be a singer songwriter. I wanted my songs to be the thing uh, that I did with my life. It was my, my dream, you know? I was like, I understood maybe not everyone gets to be a performer for a living. Like maybe I'll, you know, become a teacher or a you know, social worker or a psychologist or something. But I was like, but, you know, the same way, like when you're applying to colleges, they're like, have some reach schools, you know, have ones that you think maybe I'm not going to get in. And so like this was my reach dream. You yeah. know, I was like, I loved playing music. I loved writing songs. And like some of them were funny. So I was just in college 
you know, pre-Googling, like I don't think Google existed, but in the, you know, late 90s, uh, early 2000s, I was just like yahooing, asking Jeeves, hotbotting, you know, uh, like going up wherever I could on the internet to be like, where can I perform in Boston? And one of the places that came up was the Comedy Studio, and I called them and talked to Rick Jenkins, the owner, and who's the, the only guy who worked there, and I was like, can I perform? My songs are funny. And he's like, sure, you can come and perform for five minutes or seven minutes. And I was like, well, that's not a lot of time, but I'll take it. And I went, and it was amazing. And like in between the songs, I talked, and that was fun. And people laughed at the things that I said. And I, like, for a couple of years, was still, that was, I would perform there like twice a year and perform at music open mics and wherever I could. Anyway, I just, I fell in love with comedy over like and I felt like it was an organic shift that I was like wow this is I didn't even know that this was a thing I didn't know you could be a comedian I thought comedians were only like Seinfeld and people on SNL and other famous people who once they got to be famous they're like now you can do (laughs) stand-up and didn't realize the order of things uh I didn't ask a lot of questions yeah I was was just like I think I get how it works (laughs) oh it's different completely than I thought fair enough and And then so I started just going to, you know, more and more comedy venues and more and more comedy open mics and less and less music. And my set would expand. I would bring the guitar to open mics and play. You know, I do four minutes of of jokes that were bad. One song that was okay. Good night, everybody. Eventually a 10 minute set, eight minutes of jokes that were okay. Two minutes of songs that were good. Hey, good night. You know, eventually my first headlining set doing an hour. I was like, I did 45 minutes of jokes and played 15 minutes of songs, you know. Until eventually I didn't need to do that anymore. But I I love the way that I used to talk about it. Uh, and now I will again, is I would say that, you know, originally I was trying to like marry. I, I wanted to have a marriage to music. And eventually I was like, oh, I think that the real like career aspiration life relationship for me is with comedy but it's an open relationship and i can keep seeing music on the side <laughs> uh we can you know get together all together uh like no nobody has any uh you know uh, mandatory demands on my time I, I i do what i want and so i i that's how i i got into comedy because of music which i because of the guitar which i only knew how to play as well as I did and love as much as I did because of the violin and because of all that. And so I remember telling, going back to my mom at one point, uh, you know, in the past couple of years, maybe even before, but we had this big conversation about it where I, I talked to her about this uh, quote I love from The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Uh, from, uh, yeah, in the prophet, he says, uh, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And I was like, you know, trying to share with my mom, I'm like, the amount of joy that I get from music now, the very love for music that, that she wanted to, you know, uh, in, uh, inspire me to possess. I was like, I have it. I finally, I have it all thanks to the deep groove of sorrow that was carved <laughs> into me by those violin lessons that I didn't want to go to, the things that I had to do, the tantrums that I did. The, and my mom was like, oh no. And I was like, no, no, it's good. She's like, I didn't want to make you feel, you know, sorrow. And she, you know, we had this conversation and I was like, I love my life. I lo- and there's so many things that are like that, that you know, aren't, aren't always, don't always result like that, that aren't immediately, you know, like the classic 
comedy is tragedy plus time. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, uh, for me, comedy was violin plus time. And <laughs> and my mom, my mom's like, no, I don't want violin to be a tragedy. And I was like, but yeah, it's ultimately uh, like the the sadness is, you know, it's a part of the history. The challenge is part of it. Uh, and like with so many things, it's what perhaps ma- it helps to make it worthwhile is, you know, and obviously there are people, I think my mom had a different relationship with music. Like she, her father was also a music teacher and she started playing instruments very young as well. And, but I don't know what her internal experience was like, but it seems to me that it was different than mine, that she like loved it more initially or was self-motivated to do it more or whatever it was. She didn't have my exact experience where like now I'm like, man, I love it. I love like I my guitar is right over there and I can pick it up whenever and play it every day or as close to every day that I want to. Even just like a few, a few yeah. plunks, you know, I love making music and listening to music. And truly some of the most spiritual things that I've been engaged with in my adult life are psychedelics. Like I have gone to ayahuasca ceremonies, which themselves are, you know, you have you have this communal experience with this, you know, drink that's like communion wine, but it's a tea and it actually has this impact on your, you know, your physiology and your consciousness and your emotion and your spirit. If you are into that Uh, and you're guided by the guide is singing these songs called Icaros, which are kind of like mantras and kind of like chants. And, uh, and I just feel like I can have experiences with music that like music itself is, it's just such a, like, it's hard to describe, you know, they say in Taoism, like the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. (laughs) And so like, you know, I can say so many things and never, you know, and I'm dancing all around like, the truth of it that the the ineffable thing that so many people think of as you know god or love or spirit or whatever you know the the thing uh that people are striving and seeking to you know experience and describe and and always fall short or often do and like i'm like oh yeah music like i've come to this, music is my religion like you know uh, and i feel like comedy is like comedy is music and i mean there there there's a beautiful overlap of like you know like comedy has rhythm comedy has uh tenor com- you know like comedy has uh it, it, everything that like you know that joke jokes are like songs you know yeah, stories like the notes to it all yeah there's totally a there's a very similar rhythm to it all and so i've come around all this way to a place where i'm like yeah like you know where <laughs> If I was a child, if I could go back and talk to my child self and be like, hey, your mom was right, you know, I'd have been like, you can't tell me that. You're not my real me, future self, you know, like, yeah. but uh, but I am. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it's it's really it's really weird that I mean, I love I mean, I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my parents. I love my family. I love I love music. I love comedy. And. And still, I remember part of the conversation I've had with my mom recently, she's like, I don't have kids. I'm not planning to have kids. She's like, if you had kids, would you, you know, make them play music because you would want them to have this experience as well? And I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, my, my initial answer is, I mean, I'm glad I don't have to answer. Uh, yeah. I'm glad I don't need, <laughs> you know, like my girlfriend has sibling, little siblings and they are like the, the most 
prevalent children in my life uh, that I'm not responsible for. I'm like, yeah, sure. Send them to what do they want to do? They want to like and they they do like some of them take piano lessons. Some of them take like dance or gymnastics. And but like I I know that like Rumi, the 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 Sufi myth, the Sufi mystic um, poet has a, a thing that he said. I don't know the exact quote, but it's like we're basically that we're all uh, instruments that the universe we're all these flutes that the universe blows its wind through. And so the music of the universe comes out differently for all of us, depending what shape we are. And for some people it comes out as music for some people it comes out as painting and some yeah. as dance. And, and so I wouldn't want to, you know, regiment. I'm like, I would love for, you know, the children in my life to love music. And I'm glad that many of them do. And also I'm glad for like, you know, if, if it came out as visual art or movement or theater or whatever, my girlfriend is listening to only my half of this conversation. She doesn't hear you, but she is uh, <laughs> texting me. And she said, I think we would just play music around them all the time and have them play with instruments for fun from a really young age. So they'd think it was just something everyone does for fun in their daily lives. And yeah, I think that's, that is the yeah. answer. I think that's like the thing that I was taking away of like you, it seemed like you had the shift in your brain of like from violin practice to just being able to pick up a guitar right and like that was this like oh here's this thing that is just here that is not i'm not being forced to play multiple days a week and i could just explore on my own where i was thinking yeah "Yeah, like in the world where at four again like this is not saying your mom did anything wrong because it's obviously like it led you to this point where you're at now you're really happy with but like if there was just a room with a bunch of instruments in it and it was like, yeah, just wander around this room and like hit this drum and play this tambourine and like strum on this thing. Right. Like the exploration through art, I think is a thing that you seem to be like an advocate of because it's like, how do you find the thing that is going to be a passion of yours? Right. And I think about this, like I'm a teacher, so this is, I'm an art teacher too. So like, I think about this in like, I work with kids all day on like photo and video stuff and it's very fun getting them to discover something in them or like realize something deeper. And it's a really hard thing. You you know, I, I sometimes I'm like, yeah, am, am I letting them figure this out the right way? Like, am I forcing this on them or letting them figure this out the right way to, yeah, like stoke the flames of kind of this, yeah, find this organically, right? And it's hard. I don't think there's like a right answer to that. I don't think there's a way to know if you're doing it right or wrong. It's more of just kind of what you said, like as long as they're finding what they should find or what was best for them to find. Yeah, because I mean, what children children naturally play and, you know, we could all and part of a lot of art is striving to get back to that place. Even as an adult now, like I'm glad I when I went to college, I purposely didn't study music for my major because I wanted uh, I wanted to keep it something that I always loved, that I didn't have to do, that I wouldn't have to take classes in history that I might not have wa- cared about as much as other ones. Or, And so now, and I didn't even realize, like I took a class in college called like Introduction to the Moving Image. Yeah. Um, which was a intro to film class. Yeah. And on the first day they said, after this class, you'll never be able to watch a movie the same again. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm out. And I didn't come back. <laughs> I was like, I like watching movies the way I watch movies. And it, it's fascinating because with comedy, I feel like I've gotten to a place where like now that I've been doing comedy for more than 20 years, I I do 
experience comedy when I watch it differently than before I ever did comedy. And when I perform comedy, it's different than yeah. when I my, my first years in. But but it's more and different and better. Like and so I understand what that teacher was trying to impart. They're like, oh, like they love film and they love that you're not that you're coming into it know it like with an understanding they wanted to you know, yeah. in, in, inculcate that understanding um and so i'm glad that it, as it happened i was planning to have music be my job i wanted singer songwriter to be my occupation and i'm glad that accidentally it didn't happen yeah because now music gets to continue to be the thing that i uh that i merely i mean and i love doing comedy i love it and i'm also glad that for music i don't have to like you know email a booker and uh have a social media presence about it but a funny thing is like i'll so i'll record i'll play music for fun and i won't record it sometimes and sometimes i'll play music and be like oh i want to record that and i'll record like you know a rudimentary version of something either a snippet or like a full song and sometimes i'll like deck it out with like lots of you know instrumentation lots of uh harmonies and then sometimes I'll get it to a point where I'm like, oh, maybe I will share this with the world. And then when I have that shift of perspective of like, maybe I'll share it, like, oh, well, then I would need to spend more time working on it to yeah. get it into a shareable shape. And sometimes I'll just share it with friends. And I'll be like that. I'll be like, yeah, I'll share it with my yeah. girlfriend. I'll share it with my best friends. I'll share it with people, you know, fellow musicians and music lovers and people I've shared my music with. And and that's sometimes enough. And but it's such an interesting dichotomy of like, we, I got into comedy because I loved making people laugh when I didn't even realize that was a thing that I could do. Yeah. And then the shift from, oh, this is fun. This is meaningful. This is play. This is enjoyable to, and now how do I pay my rent with it? Yeah. You know? I, I, like, I have a really close friend who has a similar, like, we came up in like comedy stuff together and kind of like improv classes, whatever. But like, he was saying to me, like, oh, he started getting into the guitar again, and it was just, like, fun to just play something on a guitar, and he would, re like, as you said, record it sometimes, but at the end of it, just be like, great, that's what this was, like, it's not doing any, I think, I think it's, like, with people who aren't us, like, living in this world where you have, like, a art that you're pursuing as, like, a as some sort of a job it's like yeah you could just have a hobby right i think like what you're describing is a hobby right like this thing of oh i can have this thing that i enjoy and it doesn't need to make me money or fame but i can enjoy it with myself and with friends and like it's okay to just end there and i think there's a lot a big part of my brain that's always like yeah what's the next thing i could do with this and to just say oh yeah let me just keep this here and enjoy it and not make it a bigger thing Oh, yeah. Well, I'll say these two things. One is my friend Sarah Benincasa is uh, a writer, among other things, and she has written a book of essays. And one of the essays is the title of the book, which is called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. Yeah. And like I've, I've talked about this before. Like I have some friends who like if the goal is to be a comedian, some of people will make sacrifices like I'll live in a tiny box, you know, which you're, you can. And that's if you want to do that, that's great. But I have a friend who's like, stop being a lawyer. Uh, and he's like, I'm a full time comedian. And he's like, oh, boy, got to got to get those. <laughs> got to get all those gigs or otherwise, uh, you know, I got to. Oh, good. I have these Amtrak miles, you know, and. And then eventually he's like, you know, maybe I'll do a little uh, legal work on the side <laughs> so that I can live in a place that's I, I always love Mike Birbiglia's joke about living in New York in an apartment that's uh, just a little bigger than my body. Yeah. And uh, and so that and 
the other thing I'll sort of uh, uh, button is my camp. The whole uh, the whole theory behind the camp and maybe the Montessori method in general. It's very focused on the process, not the product. Um, and so that was a that was a nice thing to eventually like learn. Like you know, what what do I have to show for you know all of my years of violin lessons and and this summer camp and every I'm like, well, you know, uh, everything. Me, this, now. Yeah. It's uh it's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds yeah, that sounds great. Um cool, Mike. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. If people want to find out more about you or what you do, uh yeah, if you have anything coming up, wh- where can they find more about you? Sure. Thank you. So Mike Kaplan is my name. And if you spell it the way that I spell it, which is M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. If you put that in anywhere on the internet that you think you might find a comedian, um, (laughs) then you'll find, you know, the various social medias. Uh, I just joined Blue Sky with that name, though I understand it's been difficult to find me, even though I did that. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, all those places. Spotify and all the streaming platforms generally have most of my albums. Uh, my most recent recorded one is called AKA. If you're going to start anywhere, I'd say, I mean, you can start at the beginning and then uh, see the growth. But uh, <laughs> that's the one that I'm, you know, happiest and most proud of. Uh, but yeah, I've got a bunch of albums. I have a newsletter I send out each week uh, at through Substack. So that's MikeKaplan.Substack.com. I have my newest special which is kind of a best of uh, a lot of my jokes is on dry bar. And if you use that, that one is a subscription service. If you put in the code Mike Kaplan, you can get a free month of that. And, uh, Oh, and my, the thing that another thing I'm really proud of is uh, my friend Ramin Nazer is an artist among other things, a visual artist. And he illustrated many of my jokes in a book that we called Heartbrain Art Train. And that's available through my website, which is MikeKaplan.com and also RaminNazer.com. And I recommend checking out Ramin's art. It's so beautiful. And you can physically, you can get physical things and touch it if that's important <laughs> to you. Uh, but also, uh, if, if music is important to you, then uh, here's, a, here's a little song for you that uh, I do have some music out there on Spotify as well. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's a nice place. I yeah. think that's most of it. Just put my, put my name somewhere. Follow me. Find me. Come to a live show. Listen to my, if you, do, if you only do one thing. Uh, be it listen to my podcast, which I also have, uh, then listen to my albums and come see me live because that's the thing. That's the job that I'm married to and love. I love being married to that job. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for having me. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.